Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show and your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA, 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. And now we're about to talk to Dr. Ali Zagheb. Ali Zagheb is a man who was born in Palestine in deep poverty, lived in Palestine a good portion of his life, um, and was in the Palestinian world when the war in 1967 began, but he was living in Lebanon. Uh, for a period of time, came back to Palestine, was shown the door to leave Palestine, has come back and forth since, and has a perspective as a Palestinian and as a former professor at Birzeit University, uh, where he taught English literature Correct. Uh, at Birzeit uh, and came to America. And at Najah University, also in Nablus. I taught at both of these universities. Both universities. Correct. And came to the United States, where he became a successful businessman and a political and a Palestinian activist as well. Thank you. <laughs> and has been on the show since 1993, debating and the discussing Palestine. The first time, Palestine I think, was 1993, correct, yeah. We'll so go back a long time. T- take us back to your own life at that moment in the 60s in Palestine and leading us up to the War of 67. I know you're in Lebanon, but your family was still in Palestine. Your sisters were in Palestine. So t- bring, take us to that moment. Uh, I don't know how far back you want me to go, but, you know, let's say that, <coughs> excuse me, I finished high school while and I was living on the West Bank, which was part of Jordan in 1967, in 1966. That's when I finished high school. Then I went to Lebanon to go to the university there for a year. And uh, the war, the Israeli-Arab War in 1967 took place while I was in Lebanon. So you lived in, in Palestine, in, in Jordan, and in, in, in Palestine, the West Jordan. Bank. Jordan, to me, it's one and the same. Graduated right? high school, yeah, yeah, yeah. and when you left the, the, the your village, you were uh, still a Palestinian living in Jordanian territory, and you, you come know, back. I, and you're I living personally in do not distinguish between Palestine and Jordan. To be honest, with you. to me, it's one and the same. Mm. And Palestinians and Jordanians uh, are one and the same to me. So I really never distinguish. But what I mean is, but then you come back. Yeah. And, the, and your village and land is now controlled by somebody it's else. Correct. It was not controlled by the by Jordan anymore. It was controlled by the Israeli military. In fact, not even by Israel, the state, but the Israeli military had full autonomous power over. So what was the West Bank. what was it like for you on the day when that occupation began and you were away? Your family was still there. I mean, what can you, do you remember what happened that day? You know, they, I, I remember where I was living in Lebanon, and you know, we didn't have cell phones in those days. We right. didn't even have <laughs> any phones in those days. So it, it took up maybe a week or two, 10 days, if not even more, for people to connect with each other. I remember my, some of my cousins left the West Bank and went to Amman, Jordan. And from Amman, Jordan to Lebanon, there was communication. And some went to Kuwait, and there was communication between us. And the initial uh, war or the initial occupation was very benign, in fact. It was not the Israelis were very, uh, they were not interested in really waging more wars once they got to the West Bank, or they were not aggressive, they treated people fairly. But then the occupation, you know, it, it is really a sick disease where you cannot occupy people, control their daily movements, control their daily groceries, control their daily going from point A to point B to plow the fields or to harvest their olives or to harvest their wheat crop, you can, once you start controlling people's movements, people are going to revolt against you. And I think that is what my problem with the Israeli occupation is. 
they never moved from point A, occupation. Even what they say right now, they give Palestinians a lot of freedom. They do not. Even when they say they left Gaza, and they always tell me, look what happened when we left Gaza. Gaza is always throwing rockets at us, you know. And But it is really not leaving Gaza. When you leave Gaza and you cannot or you will not allow people to have any air or sea movement, when you basically put them in a can and say you're going to live here, you're going to be free in that can to do whatever you want to do, but you cannot get outside of that box, that is still occupation. And hence, you will always have difficulties between Gaza and Israel, between the West, the West Bank and Israel. We had a couple of chances, you know, honestly, truly, and I think the best chance, I thought, was President Carter with the Camp David. I thought that would move forward. And I think President Carter did not win the second term, so things were really in bad shape. Then we had President Clinton. We had the Antifada, of course, you know, which I think the whole wide world realized what real Israeli occupation is. When you have one Israeli soldier or two Israeli soldiers come to a village of 5,000 people and saying all the men from the age of 16 till 65, I want to in the schoolyard. So all the men in that village had to go. If there was a kid who was asleep and his mother was out in the fields, did not wake him up, and the Israelis came to the house and found a kid who was 16 or 17 asleep, they would drag him to the Israeli jail. So, or to the police station or whatever it is. And unfortunately, things never progressed the way we were hoping, you and I on this show and other places. President Clinton came, and I honestly thought that he was going to do the trick. And I blame Arafat as much as I blame Ehud Barak, to be honest with you, and I blame others. Arafat should have been able to negotiate with President Clinton. You cannot negotiate and expect everything, okay? And I think Arafat failed. And I'm, in all honesty and all frankness, I admit that Arafat failed. I wish he agreed to the Clinton proposals. I know they wouldn't have been perfect. I know it's the major Israeli settlements, the three Arayel, Ali Adumim, and I think Kiryat Arba would still have been there. But negotiate, negotiate and end the occupation and to create an independent Palestinian state. Unfortunately, the Israelis also regressed after that. Instead of Ehud Barak, we have uh, Mr. Netanyahu right now, who's been there for a while, even Sharon, who I think at the end of his life woke up and said, occupation is not good for the Israelis, occupation is not good for the Palestinians, let's do something. Unfortunately, Sharon, and you would never hear me or any other person say, unfortunately, Sharon had a heart attack or a stroke, and he ended up dying. Then Netanyahu is unfortunately one of the least qualified people to lead the Israeli people. The Israeli people need a leader who wants to get them out of this rut, who wants to get them out of this basically regressive scenarios you know, where they cannot live in the Middle East. He thinks that he is developing relationships like with some Arab leaders, okay? Uh, you know, that may be true or not, whether he has connections with the Saudis. 
He claims he does, and with the Qataris, and but this is not it. It is the Israeli people who have to have the connection with the Arab people, the Palestinians, the Jordanians. Ignore the governments. And Netanyahu, as long as he is not willing to negotiate a two-state solution, a workable two-state solution, this connection between the people will never happen. And if you look at it, honestly, in the history of the Jewish-Arab people, I could go back to Spain, you know, when the Arabs were in Andalusia and Spain. The first prime minister, one of the first prime ministers was Jewish, okay? So the relationship between the Arabs and the Jews was never as bad as it is now. And I have, you, you know, you and I come from different faiths. We have decent relationship. I have lots of Jewish friends here, there, and everywhere. And I'm sure they have Arab friends here, there, and everywhere. We need that connection between the people. And Netanyahu is doing everything to scuttle that, doing everything to ruin that. Israel can never live in peace and prosperity and security as long as they are occupiers. And I do believe there are major changes in the Middle East, by the way, major, major changes. Even the Palestinian Authority, there are major changes within the Palestinian Authority, like the prime minister right now. Nobody knows how long he's going to be he's prime a, minister. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, and Mahmoud Abbas, he's, I don't know, 80, 80-something years old. There's a lot of discussion about who's going to replace him. But I'm just hoping for a replacement, someone who will be realistic, practical, who wants peace, who wants two states, Israel and Palestine, to live next to each other in peace and harmony. So <coughs> when you lived in Palestine, I mean, you go back and forth. You have a home there now. Absolutely, yeah, I go back at least four or five times a year. But before you were before that, you were sh you were told to leave. Correct. I did not have an American passport. For, I did not have the American citizenship. Which you do now. But so what, what happened to you in 1980-82 when you were shown? As I think, if I remember correctly, you yeah, said remember, you, uh, you were sent across the bridge never to come back. Correct. I was. I didn't have an American passport back then, and I was teaching at the university. At both universities, in fact, Birzeit and Al Najah. Al Najah is in Nablus, you know, which is closer to my village, in fact. And the Israeli military governor decided to kick out 28 professors, okay, uh, really for no particular reason other than the fact we did not have the Israeli-issued identification card to the Palestinians living in the West Bank. Since we left before the War of 67, when they had the first, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, they count the people. Census. Census, thank you. <laughs> they had a census, you know, in the West Bank, and I was not there, so I did not get the Israeli-issued identity card, so I had no right to be in Palestine. Yeah. But I was born there. I lived there to be about 18 years old and all this, and my parents, my grandparents, everybody, you know. We, we have a house that we call the Roman house from the Roman days, which is literally the wall is six feet wide. Wow. Yeah. So it's, we, quote, we refer to it as the Roman house. The olive trees, we refer to them as the Roman trees because they're huge. But the Israeli military governor said that I was, I didn't have any rights to live there and they gave me literally 24, 16 hours, not even 24, because I met with them about 
uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon when I was called to their headquarters, and they said, tomorrow by 8 o'clock you should be across the Olympic Bridge into Jordan, or we will have the Army Jeep take you there. And this is a true story. It is not, you know, anybody could verify it if they want. So I left. Of course, I didn't have any choice. I was just started building the house that you have seen pictures of. And I went, you know, across to Georgia, and I worked in the Middle East for a year or two. But then I decided to come back to the United States. I was married, and I had a child who was just born. So I came back to the States, and I think you and I met 10 years later in 1993 or something like that. Yeah. So well, where things stand now, I mean, you know, we've had f 50 years of occupation, 50 years of... 67, correct. Of, of Literally 50 of years. Of Palestinian land being nibbled away, taken away. Um, a disjointed, the West Bank Palestinian la homeland is disjointed in terms of... At this point, I think it would be very disjointed. I think when uh, President Clinton was in power and he begged Arafat and uh, Ehud Barak to make an agreement, I think it would not have been nearly as much disjointed as it is now. But right now, the settlements like the Arayel settlement, which yeah. is built on our neighbor's land, <coughs> basically, most of it, uh, you know, you could see it from my house. In oh, fact. really? Yeah, absolutely. Right now, it is maybe, I'm not exaggerating, twice, if not even more, twice the size it was when President Clinton and Arafat and Ehud Barak, unfortunately, did not arrive at that agreement. And what applies to Arayel, which is really the biggest settlement in the West Bank, by the way, because it is so close to Tel Aviv, it's 40 minutes to Tel Aviv, or 35 minutes, in fact, to Tel Aviv, yeah. So a lot of Israelis who work in the Tel Aviv area live in it. And to them, mo most of these quote-unquote settlers are honestly not even interested. If you could find them housing somewhere else that would be affordable in the Tel Aviv area, I, I think they would prefer to be living really go. Yeah, there, there are very few religious zealots who think that God was a real estate agent and God gave them the land well, of I mean, Israel. I don't know. I think of the, 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 the religious zealots in Israel proper are a huge portion of the population. You can see from the elections who wins. I mean, they're there. They don't want it, they, and they clearly... They yeah, but, you know, look at us here. Who won? Uh, you know, it's not like, you know, most of us really support Trump. But he, the, there are people who, when it comes to elections, they make that decision, and there are people who run good campaigns or fri frightening campaigns, really. And that is what Netanyahu did at the end. You know, he told the Israeli populace, the Arabs are busing themselves into droves to vote against me, and he scared a lot of Israelis who were not going to even vote, and they went and voted. So, uh, but things change. Even in Israel, you know, things change. I really don't think, I think the average Israeli, I think, is as much interested in peace as you and I are. However, there are the zealots who make the loudest noises. They make the loudest and the biggest contributions, and at the end, they are more effective in choosing or electing their representative than the average person who sometimes does not care, unfortunately. One of the things that Leah Terachansky said in the conversation just before this was that Israelis have to come to grips with the fact that they have to address and honor the indigenous people of the area who are the Palestinians, A, and B, that both 
the Palestinian leadership, whether it's Hamas or Abbas, and the Israeli leadership under Netanyahu, are all a disaster. Oh, I agree. I totally and, agree there. And I totally <laughs> agree. And, and Absolutely. So, so if that's the case, I mean, and, you know, I mean, I, um, I can remember the debates you had here on the show years ago uh, with Bob Friedman, Aaron Raskis, and others. And they got pretty heated. Yes. Yeah, I, I remember those. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and that heat is not gone in terms of the, what's happening on the ground. I mean, it's very tense. People are being arrested. People are being held by the thousands oh, in Israeli jails. Oh, it is extremely tense. You know, I saw a picture, a picture of a girl, I don't know, maybe 14 or 15, that an Israeli settler shot her to death, you know, last week, you know. A guy was killed in a village next to mine about two weeks ago by settlers. Uh, they literally shot them to death. They let them bleed till they. And in fact, I saw a picture of a settler really stepping on them. Unfortunately, you know, it's really disgusting. Once person is dead and bleeding, you, you just do not. You, you have to respect the dead. I don't. I don't care where you are. I don't care which culture you come from. You know, he is somewhere else. Whether it's heaven or hell or even nowhere. But once someone is dead, you you don't just step on them. You, you do not discredit them. And unfortunately, there are incidents like that. But do these incidents really reflect the majority of the Israeli people's ideas? Absolutely not. Absolutely. I, I still believe that. So, you now have this home that you go back and forth through in Palestine all the time. And you, you talk about the, where, where this might go. I'm curious where you think, I mean, you know, Bob Friedman says he thinks that there's going to be a two-state solution. Right? And, I said to, Le to Le Leah Tarachansky, I, I think the two-state is dead. It, is, it can't be a two-state solution. And she said to me, this is, you're not asking the right question. We don't know what the solution is going to be, what form it's going to take. It won't be what anybody's thinking right now, though. I would do with all due respect. I never met the lady, but I think with all due respect, I think she's wrong. I think there will have to be a two-state. I don't know. I can never imagine there will be another solution other than a two-state. Israel is there to stay as a Jewish state, basically for the Jewish people. Of course, there's six, seven hundred thousand Palestinians. Well, more than that, yeah, yeah, yeah. More, you know, twenty percent uh, of the Israeli the population is Palestinian. Mo most Netanyahu, you know, but I'm talking about the Arab yeah. Palestinians. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, in the north, they're all Palestinians, uh, but uh, there are no other solutions. Israel will have to remain a Jewish quote-unquote state, you know, with minorities. Uh, I don't know for how many years, because if you cannot bring people from Ethiopia and Eritrea and Russia and whatever it is, the birth rate in Israel among Jewish people is certainly much less than amongst the Arabs. So the balance of power may change. I don't know, 50 years, 60, 70, I don't know. Uh, for the time being, right now, the only solution I see is two states. One in the West Bank and Gaza, with modifications, okay? And the modifications will have to, like, you want to keep Arayel and Mali Adumim and maybe one or two other settlements, great. Give the Palestinians enough land to connect the West Bank and Gaza to make up for that, for those settlements. And that is negotiable. That is something that people could negotiate. Uh, the current leaderships, and I say leaderships in the plural, in Gaza, Hamas, in the West Bank, the Palestinian Authority, and in Israel, Netanyahu, the three leaderships are major failures, all of them. 
no matter what Netanyahu thinks and his assistants, he is a major failure. The Israeli people want peace more so than settlements. Well, it's too bad you're not, not at the negotiating table yourself, Ali. <laughs> Ali Zagab has spent his time with us here uh, as we look at the Six-Day War 50 years ago and 50 years of occupation of Palestinian land by the Israelis. Uh, Ali Zagab has been a guest on the show for the last 24 years and has become a dear friend. Thank you, Ali, for stopping by the studio. I know you were tired. came back from your journey, so I appreciate you coming by. I thank you. Thank you for having me now on the floor, and we hope to continue all our friendship. Thank you.